I have to say this. I had a smaller cup. I don't know if you all had a smaller cup this morning, but I put the same amount of sugar. (laughs) You know, I'm ready to walk on water, change the city. It's a happy day. (laughs) Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We pray that you would cause our hearts to be pliable. Let your word bring real change. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claude. All right, I want to start off today with a question, a question that you don't have to answer out loud and you don't have to raise your hand, at least at this point. Uh, But I want you just to think about this question. How many of you have ever done something that you could, in retrospect, look back and say, that was a dumb decision? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Have you ever just done something? It was like, you know what? That was really stupid. I should not have done that. I I used to work when I I lived in Stockton, California for a year when I was a teenager. And I worked at a place called Roundtable Pizza. And Roundtable Pizza was a, you know, just a pizza joint. And I delivered pizzas there. And Stockton, California, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a very, very dangerous town. There's a lot of crime in Stockton. Uh, And so delivering pizzas, first of all, wasn't the smartest decision because you're riding around in a Yugo with a big sign that says round table pizza, which may as well just say, rob me. I have about $100 in petty cash. Um, But one of our one of my colleagues, one of my uh, one of the pizza delivery guys was a guy named Freddie Hinojosa. And Freddie was at the store one night and got a call. And the call said, you know, come to this address and deliver this kind of pizza. It was a large pizza, and, and, you know, they gave their name, they gave their address. Freddie gets in his car and, 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 and starts to deliver his pie. So pie is code word among pizza delivery boys for pizza. So if you want to be really cool with your pizza delivery guy, just say, thanks for bringing the pie. And he'll be like, wow, that guy, he knows what's up. So, tangent. Freddie Hinojosa is going to deliver the pie, Okay. He walks up to the door. He rings the doorbell. A man opens the door. This is the truth. The man, a man opens the door, points a gun at Freddie Hinojosa, and says, give me your pizza. Now, there's a lot of, there are a lot of problems with this situation. First of all, if you're going to rob somebody, you should probably not give them your name, phone number, and address. You should probably not try to rob them from your own house. Freddie is just so stunned by this that he says, okay, and he gives him the pizza. The guy shuts the door. Freddie's in shock, thinking, what did that just happen? He gets ready to turn around. The door opens back, and the man goes, hey. Freddie turns back around. The guy goes, I am so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, Here's $100. Let's just forget this ever happened. And the guy shut the door again. This is the gospel truth. You can call Freddie Hinojosa. And so Freddie, of course, goes back to the store. They call the police. The police go. They arrest the guy. He ends up in jail. And Freddie has 100 bucks. Um, so hopefully none of us have made decisions quite that dumb. But uh, I think if we're honest, we can all say we've made some decisions that we could characterize as relatively stupid. Um, so think about this. Don't answer quite yet. But if you've ever made a financial decision that you regret, that was not smart, uh, or an educational decision, or a relationship decision, or a parenting decision, or a moral or ethical decision, um, 
if you've ever made a decision about your physical health or your mental health or your spiritual health, or you've just said something dumb, if you've ever done any of that, mass confession time, raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm in the right place. Okay, good. Um, There's a pastor named John Ortberg. He's the pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and he preached a sermon that I, about a year ago, that I really loved, and I'm going to use some of his material today. And his sermon was called, Stop Doing Dumb Things. Um, and I loved the sermon because it actually, uh, in very clear and simple terms, talked about how we can head down one path in life, or we can head down another path in life, based solely upon the wisdom of our decisions. The decisions that we make, each decision that you make is a stepping stone in a path that you are building, and that path is your life. Ortberg says, we make decisions, and then the decisions we make, make us. What I say, what I think, what I eat, what I read, where I go, who I'm with, what I do, when I do it, add up a million little decisions, and what you get is a life. In other words, the decisions you make determine the path that you take. The decisions you make determine the path that you take. And in the scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at some Proverbs today, the book of Proverbs talks about these two paths that you can take. One is the path of wisdom. And the path of wisdom, this is the path where we follow the precepts and the principles of the scripture. We allow God's word to come into our hearts to transform our attitude, to transform our thoughts, to transform our actions, our behavior, our conduct, our speech. We really, we follow this path. And this is the path of wisdom. And the scripture says the path of wisdom leads to life and it leads to light. So the more, the further we walk down this path, the brighter it gets, okay? And then the scripture describes this other path. And this is the path of folly or foolishness. And Proverbs talks about this path as well. This is the path of rebellion and arrogance and self-absorption and pride and all the litany of sins that you can imagine, lust, greed, wrath, and everything, uh, all of the bad ones, um, and all of these attitudes. And the, the scripture says that this path leads to darkness and leads to death. So I'm going to read you a quick scripture here from Proverbs. It says, Proverbs chapter 4 says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In other words, when you walk down this path, each step you take down the path of wisdom sheds more light on the next step that you're going to take. And it gets brighter and it gets brighter until it's the full light of day. You are surrounded by light because you're walking in the light. Okay, And this other path that says, But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So as as you're walking down the path of darkness, it just keeps getting darker and darker. And the problem is that now you don't even know what you're stumbling over. You don't even know what decisions you've gotten entangled in. And then it becomes harder and harder and harder to see the light again. Um, And and, and I speak to people every week who have, you know, and, and all of us have, walk down this path of darkness. And sometimes you get down this path and you start, to, you start to not even know what you're stumbling. You don't even know where to begin. How do I turn this thing around? Uh, the ancient Israelites so, val- so valued wisdom that they wrote entire books about it, okay? The, the uh, wisdom literature of the Bible, um, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, and they, they, they anthropomorphized wisdom. In other words, they, they characterized it as a person. 
And in fact, they, they loved wisdom so much, they would refer to wisdom as a she, as a beautiful, desirable woman. I'm going to read you from Proverbs 3. It says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, wisdom, she is more profitable than silver, and she yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire, uh, nothing you desire can compare with her. So they loved wisdom, and they talked about her in these like glowing terms in this, in this, you know, as a beautiful woman. I don't know if they ever did this in your grade school, but in my grade school, if you would say something like, you know, I really love my coat, or I really love pizza, or I really love whatever it was, then somebody would say, well, if you love it so much, then why don't you marry it? I don't know why people thought that was funny, but like in grade school, you're like, that is hilarious. He just said that. But the Proverbs sort of do that about wisdom. It's the Proverbs say, if you love wisdom, make garlands of her and wear them around your neck. Make a necklace of wisdom and wear her around your neck like a necklace. Write her on the tablet of your heart. Do not forsake her. Love her. Guard her. Cherish her. Embrace her. Love her. Marry wisdom, the scripture is saying. And of course, the reason that the Bible describes wisdom as a woman is that wisdom t- uh, women tend to be so Guys, that was a total softball for you. That was a freebie, man. Jeez. Wise. Thank you. If you're a man and you're here with a woman and you didn't say wise, you need to hear this sermon today. Okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, but not only does the Bible describe uh, wisdom as a woman, it also describes Uh, Her as a woman who is desperately trying to get your attention. She really, really wants to get your attention. Proverbs 1, 20 through 27 says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long, she says, will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? She says, repent at my rebuke. That's a hugely important moment in this passage. Repent at my rebuke. She says, I'm calling to you. You're walking away from me. Repent. Repent means turn around. Come back. Come this way. Turn around. Change your mind. Change your heart. Come over here because I want to give you something. Turn around. And then she says, if you'll turn around, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But... Since or if you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, she says, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when disaster and dis- or when distress and trouble overwhelm you. This is a very intense, serious woman. And she's, she means it. She says, come to me, turn around, come this way, because if you don't, then I'm just going to laugh when you walk into all this calamity and trouble and distress. It was the uh, British poet and playwright William Congrave who famously wrote, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And that's the, that's the image that we're getting in this passage. She's saying, I want you to come to me, but if you don't, I'm, I'm, 
I'm just going to let you, let you, you know, stumble along the path that you're going. So the question arises, why don't we just all follow this path? I mean, this clearly seems like the right path. We don't want calamity. We don't want distress. We don't want destruction. We want peace. We want goodness. We want happiness in our life. Why don't we just follow this path? Well, the problem is there's also another woman characterized in the, uh, in the Scripture, or another um, uh, concept that's characterized as a woman in, in Proverbs, and that is folly or foolishness. And the Scripture characterizes this folly or foolishness also as a woman. Um, listen, listen to this passage from Proverbs 9. It says, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. She says, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So we've got this image, all right, in the scripture. We're standing here at a crossroads, and there's a path going this way, and there's a path going that way. And at the end of this path, the woman wisdom is saying, come this way. And at the end of this path, the woman folly is saying, no, come this way, right? And so sometimes we'll walk a little bit down this path and then we'll get distracted and we'll go over here and whoops, okay, and then we'll go this way, right? And, and we're not walking straight down the path. Now, it was interesting that it said she sits at the high places because what the scripture is getting at and, and also, um, Wisdom sits at the high places. What they're referring to there is in ancient Israel and, in, and, and also all the ancient Near East, uh, whenever they would build a temple, they would build it on the highest point in the region. And uh, even in uh, Europe and early America, we used to do that. We used to build churches where the steeple would be the highest point in the city, and that would signify that this is the most important thing, okay? And so when, it's, when, when they're talking about she's sitting at the highest point, what, what both wisdom and folly are doing is they're trying to, they're competing for that preeminent part of your heart, that most, the highest point in your life, the most important role in your life. The wisdom of God is calling out to you saying, come to me. And the spirit of folly is also uh, reaching out to you. So here's the problem, that every decision we make counts. Every decision in our life, it matters. And some of the decisions that we make they send us on a trajectory. They don't just end right there. It's not like, okay, the decision is made and then it just ends. It sends you on a trajectory. And if you miscalculate and you make the wrong decision, you may end up further down a path that you don't really want to be. I remember my sisters, when they were teenagers, my sister was old enough to drive and they were going to make their first road trip. They were going to leave from St. Louis and they were going to drive to Lancaster, Ohio, because we had friends and family in Lancaster. And so my 17-year-old sister was going to take my she would have been 13 year old sister and they were going to go on this road trip. They got their maps, they got their food, they got everything ready. Uh, and you know, we wished them well and, and, and they left from Bridgeton and they drove 70 East. And if you want to get to Lancaster, Ohio from Bridgeton, you just get on 70 East and you just stay on 70 East and you'll basically run right into it. Okay. But as you know, if you're coming 70 East and you come through downtown St. Louis, you know how all those highways sort of merge, you know, and it can get a little bit confusing, right? It's not really clear which, which, well, they thought they were staying on 70 East, but they actually got on 64 East. And so they're just flying down the freeway, listening to the radio, 
Got the windows down, happy as can be. An hour passes by, two hours, three hours pass by, four hours pass by. They're having a blast. They're almost to Lancaster. This is going to be great. And then one of them sees a sign that says Lexington, Kentucky. And if you know your geography, Lexington, Kentucky is not on the way to Lancaster, Ohio. (laughs) I loved it. I just loved it because my older sister, I was just like, (laughs) I'm not the only one making the dumb decisions in this household. So how many of us are making or have made even minor miscalculations that have landed us in situations that we don't want to be in? Uh, Landed us in situations where there are broken or troubled relationships or burnt out emotions, uh, stress and strain, frustration, anger, hopelessness. We've all gone down these paths. Um, And part of the problem is that sometimes we know where we want to land, but we don't really know where we currently are. We haven't assessed clearly where we're at right now. I did a wedding yesterday at Graham Chapel at, at Washington University. And so I, I, knew, I knew Graham Chapel was somewhere at Washington University, but I didn't know exactly where it was. So I pull up to Washington University, I park in the garage, and I go to the first map. You know, they've got these directories. And the map is very clear because, you know, you can go down the list and you, it's alphabetical order. I go down to G. Okay, good. Graham, Graham Chapel. It's at G5. So I get my coordinates and I find G5. Boom, I locate Graham Chapel. But the problem with the map is it didn't have one of those little orange stickers that says, you are here. So I could point, I could tell you where Graham Chapel was. I just couldn't tell you where I was. And since I didn't know where I was, I didn't know how to get to Graham Chapel. You know what I mean? So, so today we're going to do all of us a little personal self-assessment to see where we are. Where are we landing on this path of wisdom in these various aspects of our life. So if you could pull out your little card that you should have received. Can somebody hand me one of those cards? I'll show you. Did everybody get one of these little cards with numbers on it? This is great. Now you're not going to turn these in, okay? You're not going to turn these in. This is just for you. If you need one of these cards, if our welcome team people would come to the front. Does everybody have one of these? Anybody need one? We're going to do this together. Okay, there's some folks that need them. And we also have pins. So raise your hand if you need a pin or one of these cards. Because this is going to be fun. I should have given you pens with invisible ink because your neighbor might be tempted to look over at your card. So don't look at your neighbor's card. Okay? This is a, this is a, um, a little self-assessment on where are we in these various, uh, how wise are the decisions that we're making in these various aspects of our life. And like I said, this is just for your, your, own, um, your own benefit. Number one is attitude. Attitude. And this is huge because your attitude about wisdom, your willingness to be taught, your willingness to accept instruction, your attitude towards um, uh, teaching and correction is going to to affect all of the other issues, okay? So the, the Proverbs describe three different types of people. The wise, the wise are the people who are act actually expressly seeking out wisdom. They're going to counselors. They're getting help. They're asking people, help me, let, let me help, help me improve. The simple are the people who just don't have any real moral direction whatsoever, okay? They're not, it's not like they're actively pursuing it, but they're not actively running from it either. They're just kind of uninformed. And then there's the fool. And the fool is the one who 
you know, you try to give the fool instruction, and the fool doesn't want your instruction, doesn't want any instruction. Um, the proverb says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever met somebody like that, but I haven't. I really haven't. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you, you know, you do. You run into this often where, and maybe some of us have been foolish. I know that in my 20s, I could have very, I, this would have been my category. Because in my 20s, I had all the answers. Nobody was going to tell me anything. I knew how to do everything. I knew what was right, what was wrong. And I wouldn't listen to anybody. Uh, and I ran into a few walls in my 20s. I don't care to go back to my 20s. I'm glad my 20s are gone. They're barely gone, but they're gone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, but when, when I began to, to pay attention to, to people who had kind of gone down some paths before and start listening to them, then I got to learn from their mistakes, not my own, all right? So if you, if you would characterize yourself as someone who leans into wisdom, who seeks it out, who tries to learn more, who tries to get uh, help from others, give yourself a high mark. If you're somebody who's kind of like, yeah, I'll take it when it comes, give yourself a middle mark. And if you're somebody who sort of rankles when somebody tries to correct you, and says, oh, I don't want to, you know, then give yourself a low mark. Okay. Um, the next one is initiative. This is about procrastination versus initiative, okay? Are you a person who uh, sees something that needs to be done and says, I'm going to do this? Or are you a person who, you know, lives by the quote that Mark Twain said? He said, never put off till tomorrow what you can put off till the day after tomorrow. Um, if that's you then give yourself a low mark on initiative. Um, the proverb says the sluggard or the, the one who doesn't have initiative, the one who's a procrastinator, uh, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and he'll have nothing. And it says go to the ant, sluggard. Go look at how ants do it. Consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So give yourself a little ranking there. Are you somebody who just puts things off? Or are you making wise decisions? The third one is always a little touchy, sexuality. Are you making wise decisions surrounding your sexual life and the way you are, you know, conducting your life? Um, the Bible has a lot to say about this issue, and we're going to do a whole series on this in um, next month in February uh, leading up to Valentine's Day, con- conveniently. Um, but it's gonna, we're going to do a whole series on relationships, love, marriage, sex, hookups, the whole thing. It's all going to be out there. So uh, the Bible, the Bible, a lot of people think is sort of a dusty old prudish book that just says, you know, don't do this and don't do that. That's not actually what the Bible does. The Bible, in fact, everything in the Bible that relates to sexuality is related to bringing out a greater sense of fulfillment and deeper joy and deeper commitment and love. It's not about trying to limit your joy. It's about trying to increase your joy. Um, And in fact, Proverbs 5, I mean, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, but Proverbs 5, it gets kind of racy. It gets a little more racy than I'm actually prepared to, you know, say from up here. But I'll give you a, some excerpts. Proverbs 5 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then it says, I, I keep, all week I've been, do I read the next part? Okay, it says, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always. In her love. This is this is Proverbs five. So it's cold outside, but it's starting to get hot in here. Amen. Um, 
Let me encourage you guys in this area as your pastor, if you're married, then do everything that you can do that you need to do to increase the joy and the, and the, and the closeness and, and the love in your relationship, whatever it takes. If it takes counseling, if it, whatever it takes, do it because that's, that's what God is calling you to do. And when we do marriage right, it brings out the, it's, it's the, it's a reflection of the mystery of how Christ loves his church. And I don't have time to get into all that, but it is a mystical union, and it's spiritual, and it's deep. So whatever you need to do to work on that union, do that. And if you're not married, then let me encourage you in this way. Hold off. Wait. Don't get entangled in sexual relations with somebody with whom you're not committed in every other respect of your life because you will run into problems and obstacles and difficulties. So if you can hang back a little bit. Um, then there, there, is, there is a fullness for you. There is a richness for you that the Bible wants, okay? Got real quiet, real quiet. Do we have any background music we can play? Or? Okay, moving on. So give your, if you don't want to circle one of those on this one, that's fine. Um, just in your mind, know what it is. Speech and conversation. Are you making wise decisions about the way you talk to people? How, what are you giving to people in the way you talk? I, I have a cell phone, and, and you can do voice memos on this cell phone, and it can record things, you know. And when we were getting ready for Christmas vacation, we were packing, and I inadvertently pushed the, the voice memo on my phone, and it was in my pocket. And so for one hour, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds, my phone recorded everything that I said and did everything. And fortunately, we were getting ready to go on vacation. So, you know, I I actually listened back to it. I mean, I didn't spend the whole two hours listening to it. I kind of, you know, forwarded through it a little bit. And fortunately, I didn't say anything too mean or nasty. But if that phone had been recording at other moments in my life, it might be a little bit embarrassing what I had said or thought. Have you ever pocket dialed anyone? You got to be careful about that. Okay. You got to be really careful about that. Because when you're not thinking about, you know, when you're not realize you're being recorded, you might, you might go on autopilot and just kind of say things that really shouldn't be said. Um, so think about this. W- what are you speaking in your life? Are you speaking words of encouragement to others? Are you speaking words of hope, of peace, of love? Uh, are you giving life or are you speaking words of, of gossip? Or are you, you know, negative or draining words or lying? Just kind of try to listen to that. So give yourself a mark on there. How wise am I in my, in my conversation? Um, finances. This is another area that can be touchy, uh, and, and largely because churches have done, I, you know, not all, but many have done a very lousy job about talking about finances. They've either gone overboard and gotten all completely hyped about it, or they don't touch it at all. Uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about it. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. Jesus has a lot to say about it. Proverbs says this. It's interesting because Proverbs gives a very wide view of finances. It says, on the one hand, it says, humility and the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor and life. It says, the blessings of the Lord bring wealth and he adds no trouble to it. So in one respect, it seems to say, you know, that, 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 you know, by living a righteous life, we will be blessed and so forth. On the other hand, it says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. And so it, it, it says, what it's really saying is put money in its right place. Okay. Don't make it the end-all, be-all, but use discretion and judgment and wisdom in the way you handle it because all of us are managing the money that God has given us. 
And, and the way we do our church finances, I think, is a good template for how individuals should do it. And there are different views, and you can do it different ways. There's no hard and fast command on this. But our church, the way we do is our church gives away 10% of everything that comes in. And we give it to nonprofit agencies, missions work, and that sort of thing all around the city. And we're expanding that to church planting efforts this year and to foreign missions this year. So we give away 10%. And then we save as a church. We save at least 10%. Um, And fortunately, we've been able to save more than that. Our first year, we operated on about 40% of the giving. And that's wise and that we thank our trustees for that. That's smart. Okay? Uh, And then we operate on on the rest. Some of us are financially, you know, intelligent, and yet we get up to our, our eyeballs in debt, or we spend everything that we have and we haven't put anything away, and it doesn't give us the freedom to give anything. Um, and so the Scripture talks to us about making wise financial decisions. When you, when you live on less than what you make, one, one good rule I learned about finances, spend less than you make. That's a really important one. Spend less than you make. Um, set aside some for giving. Some percentage for giving. The principle in the scripture, they gave a tie. That's 10%. Uh, set aside some for savings. Make sure that you're saving some up and then live on the rest. If you're doing that, find, find yourself somewhere on that spectrum. How are my decisions financially? And give yourself a mark there. Um, humility. Humility. Now, if you give yourself a 10 on this one, then you've missed the point of this one entirely. Okay? I guess we all just have to give ourselves a low mark on this one. C.S. Lewis says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So, in other words, don't spend all your time thinking about yourself. Think about others. Think about God. Think about how you can serve other people. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It says it's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. My mom used to say, don't worry about what others are thinking about you because they're probably not. Okay? So, where are you on the humility? Are you a person that's willing to serve? Do you consider others' needs as important as your own? Uh, Do you consider, uh, you know, do you work hard? Are you willing to do things? Are things, you know, are you a person that tasks are too much below you? Think about that and give yourself a mark on humility. Is this fun? I like this. Um, I'm not filling mine out because I'm preaching, okay, but I will. Uh, Treatment of others. Have you been kind? Have you exercised discretion? Do you reach out to those in need? Ask yourself, how are you treating your parents? How are you treating your kids if you have kids? How are you treating your husband or wife if you have a husband or wife? How are you treating your fellow students at your college or at your high school? How are you treating your teachers? How are you treating... Uh, the people that you don't like, how are you treating them? Because the, the Scripture teaches us to, to love our enemies, all right? So give yourself a mark on there. And then the final one is commitment. And this is a huge one because really your commitments are also, like your attitude, going to affect everything else. Are you giving your time, energy, talent, money, skills, so forth, towards things that are important and have meaning and have ultimate value, and have lasting value, or are you sort of spreading things out all over the place? Have you over have you overcommitted, and you're doing a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter, right? Where are your commitments? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart, everything, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. In other words, give everything that you have, your heart, soul, mind, body, give that to the Lord, and then he can direct your paths. He will walk you down this path of wisdom. So, did everybody fill their thing out? Good. And as you look on your list, uh, you'll probably find that you didn't get tens in every category. Is that true? Okay, good. Because if you did, this is the wrong church for you. Um, you're too perfect. We can't help you. Um, uh, so you may be thinking, all right, so how do I address this? In 2014, as I go forward, I'm on a mission. I want to get right, okay? I want to get intimate with God. I want to get focused. And I want to sort of get some of these areas of my life aligned better with God. How do I do that? I can recall very clearly a conversation I had when I was in my, I guess it would have been early 30s. Uh, I had a phone call, a call with my mom. My father had already passed away. I remember exactly where I was on this phone call. I was in California. I was actually in Glendale, California. I was walking down. I was walking east on Lexington Avenue. There were orange trees, and, and I was walking towards my, my house there. And I remember saying to my mom, you know, I, I'd spent years not following the Lord and, and not being a believer and not following the precepts of the Scripture or anything like that. And I remember saying to her on the phone, I just, I said, and maybe it was because she had read Proverbs to me ever since I was a little kid. But I remember saying to her, you know, I've gone so far down this path that I really can't see my way out. Like, I just don't see how I can get from where I am in terms of my relationships and what I've done with my career and my finances. And I had some outward sort of uh, indicators of success, okay? But internally, Th- it, there was just nothing there. I was not, my, my, my relationships were not strong. They were strained. Uh, they were difficult. Um, and I just didn't have a trajectory with my life. And I, and I remember saying, I don't know how to get off this path. Like this path that I've gone down, it's gotten really dark. It's gotten really dark and I don't know how to turn it around. And I'll never forget what she said to me. And it was profound. She said, you are the one who walked down that path. And so you are the one who knows the way back. In other words, what she was really saying is, turn around. Repent. Turn turn around and start walking the other way. Turn around and come back to the light of God. And I want to tell you that since that day, now I didn't have a conversion in that moment. It was over the course of the next two years, really, uh, or a year and a half that that God reached into my life and changed some things in my life and 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 brought me to him in a in a full way but that was that was a moment that was one of those turnaround moments right like lady wisdom saying don't go down that path anymore some of you may be thinking that you're in a similar position to that today okay you know you've just screwed up your life so royally that you don't even know how to turn it around okay Others of you are saying, no, I haven't, I'm not, th- I'm not that, you know, but there are some areas that I need to work on. I need to adjust, make, make some adjustments. Well, I want to say to you today that there is a God who loves you and he's crying out to you and he's saying, come this way. He's saying, follow me. Now watch what happens in the New Testament. And this is, this, I'm going to close with this. But in the New Testament, the, 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 the metaphor is switched. The church 
becomes the bride. The church becomes embodied as, as a woman. And Christ becomes the bridegroom in the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians, this is fascinating because there lot, there's lots of literature about this in, in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. He became wisdom for us. He became righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus became the, the, the wisdom that we sought. He became the wisdom that we seek. He himself is calling out to us from the high places. He himself is reaching out to us and saying, follow me. I will give you life. I will give you uh, peace. I will, I will make my, my yoke easy. My burden is light. Follow me, forsake others, and follow this path. So we begin to walk down this path of wisdom when we give our hearts to him who became wisdom for us, who redeemed us, who saved us, who loved us, when we turn around and look at him. He is wisdom. He is the bridegroom. And we, the church, are his bride. And so the question arises again. If you love wisdom so much, why don't you marry it? And the answer, church, is someday we will. We will. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for reaching out to us in the midst of our own struggles, in the midst of our own strife, when we can't actually see how to untangle the knot that we've tangled, when we can't unscramble the egg, God, we come to you and we say, we need you. We need your light. We need your life. And God, we ask that you would just come into our hearts today as we launch into this year on a mission, God, we ask you to help us to, to, to turn back towards you in all of these aspects of our lives, these areas of our lives where we're struggling, where we're not, we're not totally clicking. We ask you, Lord, to guide us in that. Help us to walk down the path of wisdom so that we, Lord, can become what you truly want us to be, so that we can become disciples and that we can make disciples, that we can become empowered so that we can empower others, so that we can be transformed and we can become conduits of transformation in the lives of other people. We reach out to you today, God, as your, as your bride, as the church, and we say we follow you. We're coming after you. You are the high place of our heart. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.